You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. If you will, um, let's go ahead and start out uh, this morning with prayer. Father, I just uh, thank you for each person here this morning and um, gathered to hear your word. And, and as, as Drew said, uh, I pray that just the distractions would be gone this morning, that everything we're thinking about, uh, that it could just wait till after, Father, and that we could just use this time to just focus on you, you and on your precious word that you've given to us. And we thank you so much for Jesus and for taking the wrath that was destined for us, Lord. And we just, we thank you so much, um, Father, for loving us with a love that, that we can't even imagine. I pray that um, our lives would, would be a constant worship of you, Father. And Lord... As we open your word, please just speak to us, Father. Speak through me this morning um, to, to me and, and to uh, the rest of these wonderful people this morning. And uh, speak to our hearts, Father. Convict us where, uh, where we need to be convicted, Lord. Encourage us where we need to be con- encouraged, Father. And um, you just have your way in this sermon and this, this service this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you will, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, and this morning we're going to finish chapter 1, so if you'll turn with me, uh, we're going to be starting in verse 27 uh, today. I have to roll my sleeves down now, it's getting getting chilly really quick, we can't find a a happy medium. So I think this study has already um, forced us as Christians to ask ourselves some very difficult questions about uh, where we are really with the Lord uh, this morning and, and throughout, throughout this study. And I think it's going to continue to do that as we, as we continue today. It's going to continue to challenge us. Uh, so I just ask you to be open to that this morning, open to to God's word this morning, um, you'll see that I don't have a whole lot. I don't. Paul's laid it out pretty clearly. He's he's actually given us our outline this morning. Uh, there's not a whole lot to add, honestly, to what Paul already says. Of course, I'll I'll do my best to add add stuff, you know, because that's you know what I what I do. But um, but but Paul has really laid this out so clearly for us this morning. Uh, in verses 27 uh, through 30. But I want you to remember that Paul is writing this letter from house arrest in Rome, and he is uh, awaiting trial. So Paul is either, soon he's either going to be uh, murdered for his faith, um, or he's going to be let go. So he doesn't really know which way he's in house arrest, chained to a Roman guard uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so the church at Philippi is really concerned about Paul's physical and, and spiritual and mental well-being. And so they've sent one of their members, uh, this, guy, this guy named Epaphroditus, to minister to Paul and, and um, to minister to his physical needs, to his mental needs, his emotional needs, um, and also just to, just to see how he's doing, see how Paul's doing. And so as we'll learn later in this letter, Paul's going to send Epaphroditus back, and when he sends him back, he's going to be carrying this letter that we're reading this morning. So this is the letter um, to the church in in Philippi, written by Paul, delivered by uh, this guy named Epaphroditus, which we'll see later. Uh, We'll learn a little bit more about him later in in, in the study. But Paul has already expressed his, his, his great love and his, his desire to see these, these people at Philippi. Paul planted this church. Paul knows these people. Paul spent some significant, significant time with these people. Um, and, and they're always on his heart. And he loves them with a, with, a, with a deep love. He says, I thank my God 
um, when I think about you, every remembrance of you. I thank God uh, for all my remembrances of you. Um, he loves this church. And so he's, he's expressed that already. And then in verses 12 through 26, Paul kind of gives them an update of, of his situation, what's going on with him, and some of the things going on with him and with the church in Rome at this time where, where Paul is. And, and from these verses, we, we learn that, that Paul um, is absolutely 100% devoted to Jesus Christ above everything else above everything else in his life. He says, despite the situation God has really put me in, prison, despite the fact that there's, there's false teachers, or there's actually true teachers, um, but they're, they're speaking uh, bad things about Paul. They're speaking good things about Jesus, but they're speaking bad things about Paul. They're slandering his name. Despite that, despite the fact that at any point in time, any day now, Paul could be taken out of that prison and murdered. He says, despite this, um, Christ is glorified in me. And I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to serve Him with everything I am. And He has this overwhelming joy because of that, which is very evident in this first chapter and really throughout this, uh, this entire uh, book. Uh, but now in verse 27, Paul starts to give some instruction to the church. Now, um, there apparently was not a whole lot of instruction that needed to be given to this church. Apparently they were doing a lot of things right. They were very... Um, they were a good church. They were um, holding fast to the truth of the gospel. Um, and I think they were probably living pretty holy lives. He doesn't point out a whole lot of sin in, 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 this, uh, in this book, but he does give some instruction. So we're going to start with uh, verse 27. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, and uh, then we're going to jump right in. So let's, uh, let's read those verses. Verse 27. It says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So this section could really be seen as, as somewhat of a broad overview about uh, for many of the topics we're going to discuss uh, in the coming weeks as we continue through this study. Uh, we'll revisit uh, many of these ideas that we're going to discuss today. Um, and, and like I said, Paul really gives us the outline today. Um, and he starts, he starts with this word only. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, just, just this one thing I need you to do. It's another way of putting that. I need, I need you to do just, just this one thing. And like any preacher... Paul says this one thing, but then he adds like four, five, six other things, right? So uh, Paul's a, a typical, typical preacher in that way. He says, ah, just this one thing I need you to do. And it is kind of an overview statement, but then he's going to tell us in several other points how to do these things throughout the rest of this chapter here. Um, but he says, just live in such a way that you are worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourself in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live in such a way that, that you're worthy of this gift that, that God the Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, has, has freely given to you. It sounds pretty easy, right? Pretty easy to do. Live in such a way that's worthy of the gospel. That's impossible to do, right? It's very difficult to do. Um, Such a simple statement, but says so much in that simple statement. Live um, in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says the same thing in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 1. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And such, a, such a simple statement, but such an impossible thing to do without being an absolute submission to the Holy Spirit 
in our lives at all times. Live worthy of the gospel. And you know what? It, it matters that we live worthy of the gospel. It really matters that we live worthy of the gospel, that we live up to this. Every single day, um, we make these huge statements about the gospel, even sometimes without opening our mouths. One way or the other, either, either in the negative or in the positive, every day you are making a statement about the gospel if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're not making a statement about the gospel because you haven't, you've rejected the gospel. If you've accepted the gospel, if, you've, if you are in Christ this morning, every day is a testimony, either positive or negative, to Jesus Christ. Um, it's in our actions. It's in our priorities. It's in our language sometimes. Um, it's in our emotions. It's in our, in our body language. It's in our integrity or our lack of integrity. It's in our work ethic. Uh, we could go on and on and on. It's in every move that we make really as Christians. You're saying something to the world about Jesus. So you're not you anymore. It's not just I'm saying something to the world about Josh anymore. I'm, I'm saying something to the world about Jesus by the way I live my life. That's why it matters that we live in a way that's worthy of the gospel. Every day, the people around you either see something different in you that they want and that they crave, um, or they see something that is no different than what they already have. One of those two things people see in you every day as a Christian. Our lives make huge statements about our belief system, whether we like that or not. If you say you believe something, your life matters. What you do, what you say matters. And so Paul says, live in a way, conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. So today I want to look at um, I want to look at four ways. I want to look at three ways, actually. Um, I want to look at three ways that we need to conduct ourselves in a manner uh, that's worthy of the gospel. I had four ways, and then I actually remembered I, I put one in, into a third one. So it's actually three ways that we need to, as a body, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So if you're taking notes this morning, that's your heading. Conduct, conduct worthy of the gospel. Conduct worthy of the gospel. And the first thing he says is in verse 27. And he says, stand fast. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast. That you stand fast. He says, the first thing I want to hear about your conduct um, is that you're standing fast together as a church. You're standing fast. Now, that Greek word uh, for stand fast was also, it's, it's a military term. It was used in the military um, in regards to a soldier who's standing firm. He's not moving. He's not budging one inch from his post. So it's a military term. He's, I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing firm right here at my post. You can't move me. That's the word he, he uses here uh, for stand fast. I'm not going to give one inch to the enemy. And he says, stand fast in two things. He says, in one spirit. He says, with one mind. In one spirit, with one mind. Now, certainly, you know, I think one spirit and one mind, that, that really means a lot of things, I think. I think that's a big statement, actually. That's saying a lot of things. But a couple of things, I, a couple of applications that I want to draw out this morning are holiness and truth. Stand fast in holiness and stand fast in truth. Um, the word spirit here, you know, that, that could refer to like an attitude, to a, uh, a spirit of, of kindness, right? An attitude of kindness. Um, so stand fast in one spirit, one attitude. Could mean that. 
could also be talking about the Holy Spirit, right, as Christians. Um, stand fast in that one Spirit who is absolutely holy. If you're a Christian this morning, you know you have, you have a pure and holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. You're not your own. You were bought, and then you were sealed with this perfect spirit. You're not you. It's a spirit of holiness, spirit of purity. And if we're going to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, we have to be concerned about our holiness. So we don't just we don't just come and, and sing songs about his holiness and, and worship him with our arms and, and just really give it to him during the worship, praise and worship, and then we go home and we don't also live like this with the TV shows that we watch. Those two, those two things don't add up. We don't just come here and worship and then go home and not worship. And we're so concerned about our purity when we're here in the sanctuary. But then when we go home and we're alone, maybe we're not so concerned about our purity anymore. Not so concerned about the Holy Spirit living inside of us. As Christians, we, we hold out a gospel that says, you can be free from sin. That's what our gospel says. You can, you can be free from sin. Sin has no power on you. Death has lost its sting. This is the gospel. This is what we hold out to people. Meanwhile, some of us live lives that say something different. They say, I, you know what, I need to numb myself from the things going on in my life just as much as the world does in whatever way that numbing occurs. Yeah, I need, to, I need to fulfill every lustful desire that my body has too, just like the world. But, but sin has no power over me. Really? Those two things don't they don't add up sometimes. We're not concerned about our holiness. Sexual immorality, pornography, adultery, pride, anger, drunkenness, impure thoughts, impure TV shows, impure music, impure language, laziness. What about that? Netflix binging. Let's just call it what it is, guys. It's an absolute waste of your time. I've done it. But you know, if I'm wasting that much time watching Netflix, I'm sinning. Call sin, sin. Be honest with yourself this morning. Get away from that TV show that has nothing to do with Jesus. It's not bringing you any way, in any way, closer to Christ. In fact, the, the, the messages in that TV show are just messages of the world. I, I don't know what to tell you if you're looking for like a pure TV show. So we'd rationalize, right? You're like, well, I mean, I'm not watching Game of Thrones. It's just like, I don't know, like some other show that's not quite as out there in simple nature. This is us. Biggest TV show on the planet. Right? Well, I, I'll watch that. Well, guess what? That promotes a lot of evil behavior. It makes you feel good, right? It's got, it's got some good spots in it. Some good things. Is it helping our holiness? 
Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. We have to be concerned about our holiness. These types of sins, that list that I named, they're absolutely plaguing the church right now and effectively ruining our witness to the world. Purity is different than the world. And while purity itself is not something that the world craves. The world doesn't just crave purity. I didn't crave purity before I was a Christian. You just you don't we're, we're worldly people. We crave sin. That's what we crave. So while purity in itself is not something that the world craves, it is something that's very different. And it forces the world to ask, why are they different? Why is that girl different? Why is that guy different? If people aren't asking you why you don't go to certain places or do certain things or speak like everyone else or watch the same shows that others watch, then it's probably because your life is no different than the world and they can't really tell a difference. And that stings for some of us this morning. Because you're like, I, you know, nobody's ever really told me I'm different. Well, they really should. People should take note of your holiness. That's how serious about it we should be. People should look at you and think you are weird because you're holy. Now, I remember when we uh, first got married and uh, Melissa was working at Cheddar's and somehow, I don't know, people knew that that we were we were virgins, and so people were just shocked by this. Like even even her Christian friends at Cheddar just shocked. Like, how, what? Really? What's wrong with you? That's weird. It's become so weird, even in the church. Even in the church, it's weird, guys. Because we've not been so concerned about our holiness. We've not been living in a way that's worthy of the gospel. We've not been living like sin has no power over us. Can we just start calling the sin in our lives sin? Will you do that when you go home? today, maybe uh, when we have a little quiet time later, will you just examine your life and call out the sin, even if it's like not as bad as other sins, it's sin, that's where we miss, I think, we, we, we rationalize certain sins that aren't as bad, they're okay, because we're not doing these sins. Stop rationalizing in your life. Stop rationalizing. And call it what it is. And will you, will you put it to death? Will you just go on an all-out war against those sins in your life this week? Can you do that for me? I will do the same. I don't see many heads shaking, so I hope... I hope that you're going to take that and stop the rationalizing, guys. This is not bringing you closer to the Lord. You should ask yourself, should I cut that out? Should I cut that out? I could go on and on, but I don't have time to go on and on about that this morning. The other part here is, is one mind. He says, he says, stand fast in one spirit, stand fast with one mind. Um, we need to stand fast together in our knowledge, in, in the truth. I stand fast as a church together in truth. In a world that is absolutely attacking every single day, absolute truth. 
We have to protect this truth. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to know God's Word. We have to know God's Word. We have to know God's Word. Do you know God's Word? Um, How can we stand fast for the truth if we don't know the truth? That's why pretty much every group that we have here, uh, you you won't see a whole lot of emphasis on books other than the Bible. Because, you know, we typically study books of the Bible together. We don't typically do book studies that somebody wrote. There's nothing wrong with those. It can be very fruitful. That can get a lot out of those things. But what I've seen is that um, there's such a biblical illiteracy in this country. We might know what Francis Chan has to say on the subject, but we don't know what Philippians has to say on it. I actually like Francis Chan, by the way. But you know what? I don't care if you know what he says about it if you don't know what God says about it. In my experience, he's pointed you to what God says about it. But just read the Word, guys. Study the Word. You don't don't need some David Platt book to spark your Christianity this morning. You really don't. You don't need some, some podcast by, by one of the greats. You need more time with this word. Learn it. Memorize it. That's gone by the wayside, memorizing scripture. Just bring it back. Bring it back in your life. Memorize Scripture. There's a lot of really good resources out there, guys, and I'm not knocking any of those. And we have a podcast, so that's a resource there. Um, But nothing is a substitute for this Word. There is no resource like this Word. It's God's Word. It's God's Word. Run to it. Encourage one another with it. Discuss it informally when you're hanging out. I I hope this doesn't uh, uh, embarrass you, Nathan. But but Nathan just we were just talking, and he said, "Hey, how's your prayer life?" I was like, "Great question. Never get that question." I never get that question. I never get that question, and I'm around Christians all the time. Why? Hey, what are you studying this week? Never get that question. It's an awkward question. We've made it an awkward question. Why is it an awkward question? This should be our source of life, our relationship with Christ. Let's let's start asking about it. Holding each other to it. Let's be a church that's about the book. I don't have time really to get into the world and, and, and its claims that there is no absolute truth. But I can tell you this, that we need absolute truth more than ever. We live in the most hopeless time that I've seen, certainly. haven't been here that long. But I think that many have seen. We live in a hopeless society because we've taken out absolute truth. We've taken out God's truth. We need it more than ever. We need the church to stand on it. And if you're going to live worthy of the gospel, you better know the gospel. We've got to know it. Second thing he says is strive together with purpose. Let's read the end of 27, and then verse 28. It says, In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, 
and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. Paul says the next thing I want to hear about you guys is that you're striving together. And that word for striving is an athletic term in the Greek. It's uh, soon athleo. It has athleo in it. We get the word athlete from this word. But the picture here is a team of athletes striving together for a common goal. Team of athletes striving together for a common goal. It's a unity, but not just for the sake of unity. Unity just for the sake of unity is dead. It's pointless. I don't, there's no point in trying to get along with somebody just to get along with them. There is a point in it. It just won't work. Because you're evil and so am I. Can I say that to you this morning? You're evil. Is that okay? I said it to myself too. We're just evil, guys. We cannot get along with each other just for the sake of getting along with each other. The picture here is getting along with each other, striving together, pushing each other for a common goal. So for a basketball team, for instance, the goal is winning the championship, right? So I don't know if you're familiar with the NBA. I'm going to use the sports reference here, so sorry. But um, LeBron James, everybody knows him, right? Everybody knows LeBron James. You've probably heard his name at least. Okay, LeBron James, every single year, um, whatever team he's on, always seems to really struggle in the first 20 games or so. So the NBA is like 82-game season. So the first 20 games or so, LeBron's team's always struggling. Um, they're always asking, like, oh, is LeBron going to leave? Like, is there internal strife? Do they hate each other? Like, there's all these rumors. Rumors, are they going to be able to get it together? They're struggling. Every season, without a doubt, Sports Center's just going nuts. Like, what's wrong with LeBron? What's wrong with the Cavs? What's wrong with the Heat? Whatever team he plays for, Lakers now. What's wrong with the Lakers? But then as the season progresses, and as, as they get towards the end of that season, as they can see the goal in mind, they can see the championship in mind, all of a sudden everything's perfect in LeBron land. Everybody's getting along great. They're winning every game. They're setting records for winning game after game after game after game. And you're like, oh, I can't stand you, LeBron. Why do you keep winning? That's a, I'm not really a LeBron fan, so that's me. But, but they get it together because they get their minds off of the distant, abstract goal and very focused. It's championship time. It's time to go, guys. I don't have time for these little things. I don't have time for disunity anymore. I've got a championship to win. We've got to jail. We've got to figure this out now. Suddenly there's no more, no more tension. The goal is more important than anything else. And the only way to maintain unity with any group of people is to have a common purpose. A common objective that trumps everything else. When there's, when there's a desperate need from every individual to accomplish the goal, there is unity. Because nothing else matters. Only the goal matters. And in the body of Christ, what's our objective? It says it in the verse here. Striving together for what? Hello! For the faith of the gospel. Striving together so that people would have faith in the gospel. So that people would be saved. So that people would move from, from death to life through Jesus. 
That's the goal. That's the objective for Christians. What's more important than that? It's an eternal objective. It's better than some NBA championship. We're talking about people's souls for eternity. That's our goal as the church. People's souls either in heaven or in hell. Our goal is that they might be in heaven because they love Jesus and they accept His free gift and they repent of their sin and they turn to Him. That's our objective as the church. What's more important than that? The reason a church doesn't have unity is because individuals of the church decide that their own purposes are more important than the gospel. This is a Sunday when we just call it what it is. You don't have unity because your purposes are your purposes. They're not the gospel. If you're the one causing that disunity. Paul says, your wants... Your desires, your preferences, they, they do not matter. That's really seeker sensitive, huh? Really, I hope you come back. But, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Your, your purposes, your wants, your desires, they don't matter. What matters is unity. What matters is church unity. What matters is unity, not you. When that's my mindset, I can lay myself down. I don't have to be right. I have to be unified. I don't have to be recognized. I have to be unified. I don't have to be the one that gets the credit. I have to be unified. That's my goal, because my ultimate goal is that people would be saved. And you know what? Holiness is different. We talked about that. Unity is different. People of the world just don't have it. They do when they're trying to win a championship or something, like this superficial unity, sure. But people in general of the world, they can't have unity because they don't have the bond of Jesus like we do. It takes supernatural power from the Holy Spirit to have unity. It takes individuals submitting to that. People see unity and they see something different and they start to ask questions. Why are they so different? Why do they act like they love me? Why do I feel like this is a unified place? Why do they act like they like each other? People aren't supposed to like each other, especially not in church. That's what people are used to. It's one of the last things that Jesus prayed for when he was on this earth. He says, Lord, I want... He said, Father, I want, I want the believers to be unified. I want them to be one as you and I are one. That's what he said. That's a paraphrase. As, as, as the Father and the Son are one. That's how one... I want the church to be. That's a tough one. We strive together, struggle together, fight together, pick each other up, drag each other sometimes. If we have to. But we fight so that this gospel is proclaimed and is not tainted by our lack of unity. Because when a church is disunified, it taints the gospel for someone. It just does. It gives them another excuse. He goes on to say, not in any way terrified by your adversaries. He says, the church should strive together in such a way that shows we're not scared of the enemies of Christ. 
where that couldn't be less true overall in the American church right now. We're absolutely crippled by fear of what people think of us. Or what they're going to do to us. We're so afraid to offend anyone that sometimes our message bends a little bit. Paul says when you have courage that shows you're not afraid of your adversaries, two things happen. He says, first, it's a proof to them of perdition. What's perdition? It's not a happy word, right? It's, it's a proof to them of their destruction. Proof to them of their damnation. When we approach them with such courage as the church. I'll talk about that more in a second. Two, it's a proof to you of your salvation. When you courageously step out in faith and trust the Holy Spirit, it's a proof to you that you're saved. You want to have assurance of your salvation this morning Well, take the next opportunity that the Holy Spirit gives you to share the gospel with somebody. Actually say yes and do it and trust Him. Next time the Holy Spirit nudges, says, go talk to that person. Go hand them a track. Whatever. When we trust the Spirit and fulfill His desire, we see that He gives us words to speak. And He opens up other doors and He comforts us because we obeyed. It's an assurance of our salvation. But to the other person, there's a proof to them of their perdition. It, It makes them actually think when we're courageous, when we step out in faith, when we go talk to somebody, when we do that together, when we push each other in witnessing, we say, don't be afraid, brother. You have the Spirit inside of you. Be courageous. Go start that awkward conversation at Thanksgiving with your mom that needs to happen. You can do this. When we do that together, we actually do it, it it makes people think. People don't want to think anymore. Not about eternity. That's why, you know, we have every single distraction on the planet at our fingertips. You feel distracted in your life? Who feels distracted? I feel distracted. You have to put to death some of those distractions, guys. It's not comfortable. But you know what? When we preach the gospel to somebody, it makes them think for a second. Oh, eternity. Oh, uh, I'm going to die. I better start figuring that out. And then we have the hope of Christ, which is the only hope. It makes them think in a place where we have made thinking obsolete. We just don't do it anymore. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that sometimes you'll talk to a 20-something-year-old and they've never really thought about what happens after they die? At least that's what they would say. How have we come to that place in society? It's obvious that this life doesn't last forever obvious that something happens after this. How do we numb ourselves so much that we never think of that? Well, that's what the world has done. Satan has done a brilliant job of taking thinking out of society. And so when we approach them with this kind of courageousness and and, um, confidence, they're like, "This, this girl might be on to something. I need to seriously think about this. And if they think about what you're saying, they're going to get to that point where, I, you know, I'm, if they're right, I'm, I'm going to hell. I've got to do something here. It's a proof to them of 
perdition. The world needs to see that you don't care what they think. You're going to proclaim the gospel anyway. Because that kind of conviction and courage is different to them. It's different. Holiness is different. Unity is different. This kind of conviction is different. It's attractive. When they see that we have power over fear, they're going to want that. Man, it's a fearful place we live in. Everybody's afraid about something all the time, it seems. We must strive together for the faith of the gospel. The last thing here um, is that we must be willing to suffer. Suffer willingly. Verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. We must be willing to suffer if we're going to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Because the gospel required suffering from our Savior. Required so without suffering, we don't have hope today. Without Christ suffering, we do not have hope after this life. Throughout the New Testament, we see suffering. It's not presented as a sign of sin or a sign of rejection by God or anything like that. Um, suffering is, is always referred to as a gift. And we're like, you have to read it twice almost. Really? Suffering? A gift? This, this terrible time I'm going through, that, that's a gift? This persecution that I'm experiencing with my family, that's a gift, God? Excuse me? A gift. Paul saw it that way. The other apostles saw it that way. And, um, you know, it's because they lived as if their real citizenship was not here, it was in heaven. Because it is, if you're in Christ. Your citizenship is not here. You're already seated in the heavenlies, Ephesians says. Somehow. Already there. That is your citizenship. Here, we're just kind of passing through. Just kind of passing through this temporary life. These apostles, they thought, you know, Jesus suffered so much that I will never have to suffer in eternity. The least I can do is lay down this temporary life that I have. Just lay it down. And if that means I suffer for it, then so be it. I have to make His name known. Peter describes suffering as something that refines us, like like gold and silver through the fire. It shows the genuineness of our faith. It's a gift. It's an assurance of your salvation. Because once you go through that and you've still got Jesus, you're still clinging to Jesus, it's an assurance of what you believe. 2 Corinthians talks about how the Spirit comforts us through suffering. So it builds intimacy with the Father. Suffering does. If you've been through suffering and you've, you've, you've seen Jesus through it, you know what I'm talking about there. There's an intimacy We've seen throughout the New Testament that suffering uh, brings eternal reward. It's not enough that God saves us. He rewards us. Part of that reward is how much do we suffer for His name? We need suffering. Now, I'm not saying that we're happy when we suffer. 
I'm not saying that we should pray for suffering or just like, yeah, Lord, bring it on. Help me suffer. Be all excited about suffering. What I'm saying is suffering will come. It will come to you if it hasn't already, if you're not in the midst of it right now. Suffering will come. And I'm saying let that suffering have its work in you. Cling to Jesus through that suffering. Let it refine you. Let it purify you. Let it mature you. Not only that, but thank God for it. It's a sign of His love for you, not hatred. That He wouldn't leave you where you are in your Christianity. The gospel demands it because the gospel says you're not home yet. And what a beautiful thing it is to let the Father carry you through suffering. And let the church carry you through suffering. God, that's why the church is so important. So many times we suffer and we run. We run from the church. We run from Christ. Don't run. Don't run. Don't run. Don't run. Stay with us. Let us suffer with you. You need the church in those times, guys, to point you to Jesus, to help refine you as a vessel that that, that Christ uses to do all those things. You need the church. We're striving together even through the suffering. I, I told the page this morning. I don't, I don't know how these uh, prosperity gospel guys do it with the health and the wealth stuff because I can't seem to get through a single message without talking about suffering. It's just everywhere in this book. And it's such an important aspect for us as Christians. It is not something to, be, to dread, really. It's something that is a gift from God. I know it doesn't feel like it in the midst of the suffering, but it is a gift. If you will allow it to have its work in you, you're going to be different. You're going to be changed. You're going to be more bold for Him. You're going to have a testimony of someone who stood firm through the fire that's going to be attractive to people. That's how the church should be attractive to the world. Not by doing everything the world does, but by doing different things than the world does by suffering well by having this unity by having this holiness and they're like why are you holy by striving together that's how we should be attractive to this world that's how you let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ The truth is that uh, I think most of us in this room that are Christians would probably be willing to say, if somebody put a gun to our head, we would say, and they said, you know, deny Jesus or I'm going to shoot you. We would say, shoot me. I think a lot of us would say that in this room. But at the same time, we're, we're those same, some of those same people, we're not, we're not willing to walk up to that person at the park and proclaim what we know to be true about Jesus. We deny Him there. We deny Him every day. We're not willing to go to our neighbors. We're not willing to have those awkward conversations with our mom with our sister, whatever. But, but we're willing to take a bullet, really? You know why, that is? You know why we say that? Because that, that's like something that's distant. It's something that, uh, you know, probably never will happen. And so we can say that, you know. Like, yeah, I would take a bullet for Jesus. Well, who knows, honestly, right in that moment, what you would do. 
But I know that we don't live that in our every single day life with the things that punch us in the face, that confront us right here. We don't do it. We deny Him. Be willing to suffer persecution, guys. That's how you live a life worthy of Jesus because Jesus was willing to suffer the ultimate. That's why we are free from sin. That is why we have the Spirit within us. That's why we are saved. That's why we have a home in heaven because Jesus was willing to suffer. Will we not be willing to suffer with Him? Every day. We're going to go ahead and and close up this morning. Um, We've run out of time. I want you to ask yourself, am I living in a way that is worthy of the gospel? I want, uh, Paige, if you don't mind, I want to pass out some Risen Life cards this morning. We've got a ton of them here. They're just sitting in our red box. So I want to pass them out. Take as many as you need. We have more. We can buy more too. Um, let that be some sort of tool to open those doors this week. And be willing to suffer for it because you might. Probably not going to die. Probably not. But you might suffer. And I'm just asking, is, is he not worth it? I'm asking myself too, is he not worth it? Is he not worth it to do that uncomfortable thing? Let that, you know, use those. They're blank on the back. You can write your name. You can write a Bible verse. You can write whatever you feel like you want to write there. Um, but let's get people in here. Let's get out of here. Let's get our own building. Let's fill it up first, though. Standing room only in the theater. Even when we have the enter if you dare sign, which they're still pouring in. That was a Halloween thing. I mean, if you got if you weren't here for that. We that wasn't our sign, by the way. Um but use that this week. Use those, those cards. Um, if, if you run out in the box, let me know. I'll get you more. But We've got to overcome that fear this week and in our lives every day um, and just, just proclaim the truth to people. The truth matters. I want you to ask yourself, um, and I know people are still passing around cards, but if you, if you can, if you'll, if you'll close your eyes and, and bow your heads, um, am I really So there's really, there's like natural suffering that, that's going to happen to you whether you're Christian, whether you're non-Christian, it's going to happen to you. But then there's kind of suffering that, that, that comes as a result of you being bold and you proclaiming the gospel. And it will come. If you do those things, if, if you're going to do that, you will suffer. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, makes that clear. He says, all, all who wish to live a godly life will suffer persecution. He's not even talking about natural. He's talking about persecution. If you desire to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. The question I want to ask you is, am I willing to do that? Is he worth it? Am I really willing? For boldness. Boy, do we need it. Beg him for that push. Beg him for those opportunities. Beg him that he would go before you, open those doors. Beg him that he would use these these cards in whatever way he wants to use them.
Uh, some of you may just need to repent of some sin this morning. And that's in your way, if you're honest. Maybe it is a, a sin of promoting disunity. Maybe it's just a sin with, with certain things that you're letting into your mind. I don't know. Uh, some of you may need to repent this morning. I want to certainly give you an opportunity to do that. And then others of you may say, you know, I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know Jesus this morning. I tell you what, though, no one better than Jesus knows this message. True. I want to tell you how to do that. The way you do that. Yeah, the Bible says, repent of your sin. We have all sinned. We all fall short of God's perfect standard. Repent of your sin. I mean, turn away. Apologize and turn away. And you don't just turn away from your sin, but then you turn towards Jesus, the Savior, who has paid for that sin. And you give your life to Him. You surrender all to Him this morning. That's conversion. That's Christianity. If you're here this morning, you say, I, I want to do that this morning. I want to, I want to be saved. I want to beg you, To listen to the Holy Spirit nudging at you this morning if you need it. Listen and respond. I want to ask if there's anybody here this morning that says, I, I want to be saved right now. What I want to do is kind of help you put that into words. And I'm not going to point you out or anything. I want to help you put that into words. So if there's anybody here that says, I'll, that's me. I want, I want to be saved this morning. Will you just lead me in that prayer? Will you help me put it into words? Um, will you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking around. And my... my desperate prayer this morning is that that means we're all saved tell you what if you're not please don't leave here without Jesus and you'll ever make in your life because it's not just this life and it's eternity for those of you that are Christians I want to give you a moment to uh, just, you know, there's, again, it might be a time of repentance. It might be a time of just kind of rededication to the mission that we're on here. Kind of let some of the other things fall away. Some of the feelings, some of the, the wants and desires that, you know, are just so strong in us. And I just have to be right. I have to be the one that, let some of that stuff, can we let it fade away for the sake of the gospel this morning? Be unified in that. So I'm going to give you a few moments just to pray, um, and then I'm going to close this. If you need to talk to anybody, uh, grab me after, uh, grab Drew, grab Stephen, you know, grab one of us. We'd love to uh, chat with you or pray with you, whatever. Father, I just I pray for this church right now and I, I ask that when you look at us, Lord, that you would see a church that is standing fast on your truth and on our holiness. And Lord, a church that is striving together, pushing each other towards the gospel with that one goal in mind. Father, a church that is willing to put ourselves out there. Father, help us to be individuals that, that will do that this morning. Please, as we go, 
Give us boldness for your mission. Give us the courage to repent of the sin that that we want to rationalize in our lives. And help us just to put it to death. It's enough with it. Help us to put it to death, Lord, for the sake of Jesus. Lord, He is worth it. I just praise You because You are so worthy. Lord, to look at us, sinners, and to say, I'm going to lay my life down for them. Praise You, Lord. Praise You for who You are, for what You've done. Worthy are You. Church, um, and Lord, we love you, and we ask all these things in, in Jesus' precious name.